Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We are in a series called Culture Killers. We're springboarding off the whole Halloween season, and, you know, the devil has taken Halloween and used it for his glory, but, man, we're going to use it for God's glory this whole season. And uh, we're talking about building culture and uh, in our church, and but culture is something that you can build in your personal life, and, your, you know, every—, every Whenever there's one or more people, there's a culture, right? And so um, we're going to be talking about church culture specifically. But, um, uh, you know, there's culture killers that come up against building healthy culture. There's things that come up against it and fight it. So last week we talked a little bit about what do you give yourself to? Um, What do you give your heart to? What do you lean into? And we entitled the message last week, Lean Into It. So we we really wanted you to get a heart of... um, just, just what's important? What's important in all this? Is it a religious uh, experiment, uh, exercise? Is it this 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 forty five minute religious thing, and we leave and we feel better, but we're not changed? No, it's about having an encounter with God. It's about people coming to know God and how God's going to use us to do that. Today, I've entitled this this little message called "Break It Open." So we're going from lean into it to break it open, and we're going to talk about uh, a woman in Scripture that is mentioned in all four, all four Gospels, which is rare. And we're going to just take snippets from each of those four Gospels and find out what each writer thought was important about this whole scenario. The heart today and the mindset today behind this message is this, that we want to build a culture at the harbor that's more about us being poured out to be a blessing to others than us being poured into and being a blessing to ourselves. And so there, it's, it's very easy for church culture to go down this road to where it's all about my experience and my experience being happy and, and enjoyable and comfortable. And, and it you know, has to do with the surroundings. It has to do with the music. It has to do with a lot of things. And, and we have this mindset um, that, you know, I come to church to be poured into. And the reality is, is that if, if, you, if you've been starving all week long and not being poured into by God, um, you're probably not going to get poured into on a Sunday here. Because when we gather together, it's about pouring out our love for him. It's a celebration of what God has done in our life from Monday through Saturday. And so a lot of our Christianity is, is just about me and being poured into. Um, that's not what we're about. There are churches that will cater to your every whim. That's not what we're about. We are about pouring ourselves out to reach people for God. That's what we are about, and and that's our lane, and that's what we find important. Look at the only thing we can take to heaven with us is people. So you guys still love me? All right, so we're going to start in Matthew. You guys got real quiet, man, like, holy smokes. I didn't know this was a church like that. Let's go. Um, Matthew 26, verse Six. It says, then Jesus went to Bethany <clears throat> to the home of Simon, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy. A woman came into the house holding an alabaster flask filled with fragrant and expensive oil. She walked right up to Jesus and in a lavish gesture of devotion, she poured out. Everyone say with me, she poured out. She poured out the costly oil. And it, and it cascaded over his head 
as he was at the table. I'm just going to hit the pause button real quick. I'm going to give you a freebie today. So the reason why this woman was able to come into that dinner party was that in those days, when you had a dinner party, the, the whole... Uh, they did the, the whole the whole uh, side wall would be opened and and you would have people from the community standing in the doorways, standing at watching you have a dinner. Which, how awkward would that be if you had someone over for dinner and all your neighbors showed up and were standing in the front room watching you guys? That's the way it was. And that's why she had access to walk in and crash this dinner party. And so. It says when the disciples saw this, her pouring out this oil, they were offended. What a total waste, they grumbled. We could have sold it for a great deal of money and given it to the poor. Jesus knew their thoughts and said, I love this fact. They're thinking it, and then he just turns to them and just answers what they were thinking about. Why are you critical of this woman? She's done a beautiful act of kindness for me. You will always have someone poor whom you can help, but you will not always have me. When she poured the fragrant oil over me, she was preparing my body for burial. I promise you that as this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her lavish devotion to me will also be mentioned in memory of her. And he was right because about 2,000 years later in a warehouse on Long Island, we're reading about what this woman did. If the Lord tarries... Wouldn't it be cool that you do some things in your life that seem insignificant at the time, but they make a big deal? They, 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 they mean a lot to, to a big God, and that maybe 500 years from now they're talking about something you did today? Think about that. So what this story reminds me as we read this in Matthew is that the contents were costly. The contents were costly. Others around this woman were not willing to, to give so much. They, they saw her as wasting what she had. Oh, it could have been used for something better. It could have been, you know, you're not being a good steward. of it. You, you, could have, you could have used it for something more important. The reality is this, that devotion is costly. It comes with a high price. Whatever you're devoted to is going to cost you something. I really feel that my lane, the lane that I'm to run in as a, as a believer, not as a pastor, although that kind of fits together, but as a believer, my lane is God is calling me to influence people that, that are unchurched, that don't have a relationship with God. It's always been that way. And so there are times that I find myself spending time at breakfasts like yesterday or lunch dates or different things at night where I'm thinking, man, I'd rather be home with my wife watching Netflix. And i got to be here tonight. And sometimes it's just about being a presence. That's it. And so I'm devoted. <clears throat> There's some people that God has put in my path that are people of influence, and I am 100% fully devoted to see that they all find a relationship with Jesus. And I already know that it's going to cost me greatly. But is it worth it? You know, uh, you, you all know that, that I've said this so many times where, where I like to get my coffee, right? 7-Eleven. And, and I've built relationship with, with uh, so many people that work there and the owner. And it's just, he's just wonderful people. And um, there's a young man that 
that I know that he's homeless, and he stands out by the red box there. Not all the time, but I see him maybe once a week. And whenever I see him, I always go in, and I'll, I'll buy two cups of coffee and bring it out and give it to him, and he's always so grateful. We don't speak the same language. He doesn't speak English. I don't speak Spanish. I wish our translator team could go with me to get coffee because we could get a lot done. Here, put these headphones on. <laughs> That'd be awkward, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but wouldn't it be cool if this young man finds a relationship with Jesus and it just costs me a half dozen cups of coffee? Do you think that'd be worth it? Would a million dollars be worth it? Absolutely. And so whatever you're devoted to is costly, and it's going to cost you a high price. This woman brought something to Jesus that was extremely valuable. She, she gave him her very best. To her, the cost was worth it. Now, I'm, I'm blown away with how much perfume costs or cologne costs nowadays. Now, would you, would you say it was fair that when you, when you open up your Christmas present on, on Christmas morning that Aunt Edna buys you, you open up and it's a half gallon of, of cologne? Do you think that that's probably not the best cologne in the world? Like high karate, remember, this, remember all that stuff? Um, <laughs> but if someone buys you this little dinky container, you're like, oh, that's got to be valuable. That's probably the best of the best because it's so small. This woman, in one translation, says she brought a liter of this expensive perfume. And Jesus was so affected by her heart and giving him the very best she could give him that he mentions it as a future memorial to her. I believe that when you buy a cup of coffee for a homeless guy, that for every 20 people that walk past him and don't make eye contact with him, for every person that does, I believe that touches the heart of God. I believe that's God saying, they're giving me my best. They're giving me their best because they're reaching out to one of my creation. Mark's account something like this. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. It says, now when Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy. And as he was reclining at the table, a woman came into the house holding an alabaster flask. And it was filled with the highest quality of fragrance and expensive oil. She walked right up to Jesus and with a gesture of extreme devotion, she broke the flask. Everyone say she broke the flask. And she poured out the precious oil over his head. You know what this tells me? It tells me that brokenness was necessary in order to release its contents. As long as it stayed in the, in the jar, it was no good to anybody. The outer part of the vessel was not as valuable as the contents inside. That is you and me. And once the vessel was destroyed, once it was broken... The only use was for its ability to contain what was inside. Brokenness is a condition of the heart where we are spiritually and emotionally emptied of self. We, we as especially men, we don't like being vulnerable. 
When we hear the word brokenness, we look at it as a, as a negative. We don't want to be vulnerable. And I just, I show you a funny story. When I, after I came back from my father's funeral just a month ago, the first morning I was back, I went and got my morning coffee. And the owner of 7-Eleven is a dear friend of mine. Rich comes over to me, and he, we're Facebook friends, so he's, he's asking me questions about my, my dad. And I just wanted to answer kind of very general things, right? So he's asking me detailed questions. And before I know it, we're both ugly crying. Yeah, by the coffee pots. And the way guys do it, you know how we dealt with it? We just turned around and walked away from each other and never said a word. But we had a moment. <laughs> just very uncomfortable, right, to, for guys to be broken. We don't, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to do that. But brokenness is what we allow God to make of us. It's what we allow him to do in us. And I love the fact that hundreds of years before this event took place with this woman, there was a psalm in Psalm 51 that was written. It's as if she wrote it herself. It says, the fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow at your feet. Sounds like she wrote it, right? God uses broken things. God places a, a high value on broken things. When you watch shows like American Pickers, which is, spoiler alert, all those shows on HDTV, and all, they're all fake. You just need to know that. They're all scripted. It's all, I just ruined everyone's life. But take a show like American Pickers. They find, they find something in a barn somewhere in Iowa. And they always say, well, this sign would be worth a lot more if it wasn't cracked. This sign would be worth $1,000 if it didn't have the paint rusted off it. But now we're only going to give you 200 So what they do, and it, this is, you know, it's like that with anything. The value declines because of the damage, because of the scars, because of the brokenness. But in the kingdom of God, the value is greater God values your scars. He values the brokenness in you. He places a high price on it. We throw away things that are broken. If a dish breaks, we throw it away. If a bottle breaks, we throw it away. Furniture's cracked or there's a rip in the fabric, we usually replace it, uh, restore it, or throw it away. But in the spiritual realm, God puts a huge premium on broken things, especially on broken people. It's kind of like stained glass. Stained glass is expensive. If you order a window of stained glass with a particular picture, you're going to pay big money for stained glass. In fact, when they tear down old churches, they repurpose those stained glass windows. It's big money. And by the way, if you ever wondered kind of why there is stained glass in churches, Back a few hundred years ago, they didn't have Instagram or Facebook. They didn't have social media. Stained glass was the social media at the time because people didn't know how to read. People, uh, you know, they, they, they struggled with that. So there had to be something that was illustrated so they could see the stories. And so stained glass was, was always telling a story. But the thing about stained glass is stained glass is made up 
of a bunch of broken pieces that are pulled together to make a masterpiece. And God can take the broken pieces of your life, the things that were shattered, the things that, the, the wounds, the scars, and He pulls them all together. And when your life is finished, there's a masterpiece there. And you need the dark pieces of glass, sometimes as much as the, white, the light pieces of glass, because the dark pieces accentuate the lighter pieces, don't they? God places a high value on broken things. Back in the early 50s, there was a missionary couple by the name of the Elliots, and, and, and Jim and Elizabeth Elliot <clears throat> felt called to the jungles of Ecuador, and they, they were wanting to reach un, uh, unreached people groups, and um, they started uh, building relationship with a tribe along the river, and they would, they would, they would come by, and they would drop packets of food and, and all kinds of things to help this tribe, and it seemed like they were friendly. And one particular day, her husband, Jim, and I think four or five others of his missionary friends landed their plane next to the river, and, and it was going well, and then the, the tribe turned on them and murdered all of these young men. They were in their 20s. And, and Jim and his wife, Elizabeth, had a little baby girl. And this is what Elizabeth wrote coming out of this tragedy. She said, if my life is broken when given to Jesus, it's because pieces will feed a multitude while a loaf will satisfy only a little lad. God will use your brokenness to multiply your influence. Brokenness is of high value. Let's look at Luke's account. Now, this is going to be a little longer because Luke was a doctor and Luke was detailed. But Luke points out some things that the other guys miss. So I want to read this. It says, afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. And when he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. Oh, good heavens. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an expensive flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, and went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. And then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, he didn't say it, he thought it, this man can't be a true prophet because if he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman was touching him. And I love this. He's thinking it. Jesus just whips around at the table and says, I have a word for you, bro. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. No, you don't. <laughs> You're about to get slapped. 
It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, and the other only owed $10,000. And when it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which would love the banker the most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. And then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. She's still broken and weeping. And he says, don't you see? Come on, say with me, don't you see? Don't you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't even think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. And yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take notice Or you didn't take the time to anoint my head with the fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume that they have very little to be forgiven for will love me very little. Is that profound or not? Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, who is the one who can even forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. You know what I see in this story? And you repeated it, that no one really saw her. You ever have people define you by your failures? Oh, that's an addict. That's a thief. That's a liar. That's an adulterer. That's a prostitute. That's a drug dealer. That's a gangbanger. We we are always defined by our failures, aren't we? (laughs) But that's the problem. Simon, who Jesus had so graciously healed from leprosy and was a religious leader has a woman that just came into his home and done some of the most miraculous things, and he was judging her because she was a prostitute. Simon doesn't see the woman. He sees only the sinner. And the thing that will completely kill the culture that we're trying to build here at the harbor is that when people walk through these doors, and it's obvious that they're this or that or whatever, For us to judge them and say, well, they shouldn't be here. Look at them. That will kill a culture so quick. But I always want to be a place that no matter what a person has done, what they look like or how they've acted or the failures that they've had, even some of the worst of the worst, that they could come in here and that you would be just as excited to greet them as you would if someone famous walked in here. Come sit with me. I pray that you'd get into a fist fight wanting the person to sit with your family. Not really. 
How cool would that be? Come sit with us. He said, don't you see this woman? What she's doing for me? Jesus sees her humanity. He sees her hospitality. He sees her heart. He sees her grace. He sees her love. And he looks at Simon and he goes, you don't see her? And then I love the fact that he just contrasts the hospitality that she's showing Jesus with the hospitality that Simon didn't show him. See, in those days when a guest entered a home, there were three things that were always done. The first thing was that the host would always place his hand on the guest's shoulder and give the guest a kiss of peace. That was just respect. And then cool water was always poured over their feet because their feet were dirty from walking the roads. They were just dirt paths and ruts. And basically their feet were, were pieces of leather that were tied onto their feet by straps, by strings. So they would come and they would pour cold water to, to just clean the feet but also refresh them and make them feel better so they could relax for dinner. And then either a pinch of sweet-smelling incense or a few drops of rose oil was placed on the guest's head. Simon didn't provide any of these for the man who healed him of leprosy. Jesus wants Simon and everyone else in that room and everyone watching from the street to see this woman. You know, when I'm out in public and I see people that are dressed outrageously or they, they've done things to their physical self that you can't help but notice them, you know, it's easy to write them off and just say, well, they're just bad people or they're rebellious or they're, they're this or that or this or that. It's easy to do that. But I wonder if we would start looking at them and saying, and, and, and understand that what they're doing is saying, would someone please see me? Me. Notice me, please. It's an incredible thing when the value of his perfection and the intensity of our affections come together. We see an explosion at this dinner. Perfect God being anointed by an imperfect woman. And it blessed his heart. So much so we're reading about it today. As I close, our band's going to come up. We're going to close out with a song. And I want to end with John's account, which is only a paragraph here. But John points out something different than the other three. John sa- it says, Mary picked up an alabaster jar <coughs> filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume. A liter's a lot. That's two water bottles full, by the way. The purest extract of nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet. And then she wiped them dry with her long hair. And the fragrance. Everyone say with me, and the fragrance. And the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. The whole house was filled with the fragrance. Do you know that you and I bring with us a fragrance of the kingdom of God? We're not to stay away and, 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 and not be a part of, of 
a culture out there that's dying and, and hurting and going to hell in a handbasket and any way you want to put it. We're not to stay away from We are to infiltrate the culture and bring with us a fragrance of the kingdom of God. Your life should be such that you don't even, you don't, don't go in quoting scriptures and hitting them with your 15-pound King James Bible. It doesn't work. You go in knowing that you are an ambassador for the kingdom of God and that your very presence will change the atmosphere of a room. It's like a fragrance of, of, of precious oil or cologne. It changes everything. I've seen it happen. People, they'll describe it. They'll go, I don't know, but I always feel good when I'm with you. I always feel encouraged. But they don't know it's the kingdom of God that they're sensing. It's the peace of God. It's the joy of the Lord in our life. I can't stress that enough. You don't have to say a whole lot, but you have to be a whole lot. God never intended for what he has done in you to stay within you. God has put something in you that will affect everyone around you. In the third century, there was a dreadful plague that swept through the city of Alexandria, which is in Egypt. And according to Dionysus the Great, who was the the, the head of the whole uh, area in Alexandria, it was the Christians who loved and cared for the sick, even at the cost of their own lives. This is what he wrote in the third century. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. So he was saying they, they could have just stuck together and not done anything of risk and let the people die. That's not what they did. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Dionysus went on to say, the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the diseased, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead, and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avoid the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. It was the Christians that came up alongside people that were dying and loved on them and showed them the kingdom of God. A life of astonishing love is, a, is the wonderful response of a people who were once lost and now found. You, can, you don't want to miss next week. We're finishing up this series, and I'm calling the, the, the message next, next week, Love Ridiculously. That's exactly what these believers did. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation, so it's going to sound a little different. But I want you to get this into your spirit. He said, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. 
Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. We want to be a church. And this is the culture that we want, we're, we're, we're creating. We want to be a church where we are willing to give Him our very best. Where brokenness is what we're known for. Where we really see people and not just their sin. Where the kingdom of God is like a beautiful fragrance wherever we go. And it affects everyone around us. That's the kind of culture we want to build here. What are the culture killers? You know what will kill that quicker than you can imagine? Is when we give him our leftovers. Where we're too proud to be vulnerable. We're too proud to be broken. And we want a more formal religious approach. Bless God. Where we only see people's sin and we don't see the person. Where no one notices what we bring because what we bring is unnoticeable to everyone else. That'll kill the culture. I want to have a culture, and this woman is my idol. <laughs> She's my, if we, no matter what we're walking through, we will always say, Jesus, I know you love me, and I want to bless you, and I want to give you my very best in the midst of my sinfulness, in the midst of my failures. Could we stand? Maybe you're here today for the first time, and you have never been asked or you've never gotten to a point where you said, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. And today I want to ask you to come in and I want to surrender my life to you because if you can love a prostitute like this woman, God, I want you to love me like that. And so we're going to say a prayer today, and, and, and I want everyone to say it together because it, we're all on the same boat. You know, the ground, at the, the, the ground at the bottom of the cross is totally level. There's no one greater than the other. There's no one worse than the other. We, we come all the way the same way. And so I want to just say this prayer together as a, as a family, but there's going to be people today. You're here right now, and you've never done it. I want you to pray this with all your heart because it's a prayer of invitation. So just everyone, if you're, if you're ready... Now's the moment. Now's the time. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't put off. Now's the moment for God to transform your life. Just pray with me, everyone. Lord, thank you for bringing me here today. I want to ask you to be Lord of my life, Jesus. To, to forgive me of all my sins. To fill me with your Holy Spirit. And transform my life. I surrender everything to you. And I give you my very best today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.